The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. The Explorers podcast is sponsored by RM Capital, a provider of specialist small to mid-cap corporate advisory and boutique wealth management services. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perrow columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to the latest edition of the Explorers podcast. Stockhead followers might remember that Garen Perrow covered Magnetite Mines back in August last year on the strength of its emerging development story at its Razorback Magnetite project in South Australia, which is located about halfway between Port Pirie in South Australia and Broken Hill across the border there in New South Wales. Magnetite, which trades under the code MGT or Mike Golf Tango, was a 0.3 cent stock at the time with a market cap of less than 7 million. It is now a 5.6 cent stock with a market cap of 175 million, which is a bigger clue you'll ever get that the company's ambition to become a producer of high grade iron ore concentrates from late 2004 is fast taking shape. To that end, the company has just released a preliminary feasibility study which arrived at a robust set of numbers. And importantly, the robustness did not rely on the elevated iron ore prices that prevail today. We'll run through the PFS in a moment. But first, it's worth noting that because of its South Australian location, Razorback Razorback benefits from easy access to existing rail and port infrastructure, as well as South Australia's electricity grid with its high renewables penetration rate. So the capital intensity and ESG credentials of the project come shining through certainly compared with what would be the case if Razorback was a Greenfields project stuck in the Pilbara somewhere. We have Magnetite's Executive Chairman Peter Schubert and its Technical Director Mark Eames with us today to bring us up to speed on the fast-evolving Magnetite story. So with that, I say good day, gents, and thanks for your time today. Hi, Barry. Thank you. Thanks, Barry. Uh, Mark, this is probably one for you. I know the PFS was a uh, 1,000 pages or so, but uh, I'm hoping you can do your best to boil it down to the key findings for us today in terms of scale, capex, likely production costs and so on. Thanks, Barry. Our objective was to look at a a stage development of this very large resource. So we actually minimise the uh, upfront capital, if if you like, reduce the amount of money required to get into business so we can expand after that. And the pre-feasibility study results have certainly uh, come out very well in terms of demonstrating that. So we looked at um, a case that uh, of producing between two and three million tonnes of high-grade concentrate at a, at a product grade of between 67.5% and 68.5% iron. And uh, at that rate, our uh, capital cost was uh, depends exactly on, the, on, the, uh, on the, uh, the, the case selected, but the capital cost is, uh, is between $570 and $675 million Australian which is, uh, comes out in US dollar terms at, a, at around a half a billion dollars, which for an iron ore project is uh, relatively modest, uh, as you know. But particularly exciting for us has been that when we ran the costs of using the uh, existing infrastructure and uh, uh, taking advantage of the low cost power and the outcropping nature of the deposit, 
Um, we ended up uh, at uh, long run average on all prices over the last 10 years. Uh, we, when we ran those numbers, we generated a post-tax IRR of 20%. And uh, also uh, important for the project was the break-even cost uh, after construction. So if you like the price uh, we need to stay in business uh, was as low as $54 in our uh, improved case, which means that uh, we our, our objective and which we met was that we would have a project which would demonstrate strong financial returns through the cycle at long run prices, but also would be able to survive the troughs that occasionally come uh, down the path. So we're very pleased with the results. Right, okay. Uh, one for Peter. Uh, I mentioned the low capital intensity and Mark just touched on that. Um, I was wondering if you could talk to the importance of that in terms of the, the doability factor, for want of a better expression, in terms of getting the, uh, the, the project into production and obviously financed. Barry, we took the decision early in the project planning that a sensible, fundable capital number was a key plank in moving from developer to producer in the shortest space of time. The board and I share the view that in order to de-risk the Razorback project and therefore meet funding mandates, we needed to have a top-down, low-capital approach. So this strategy has created a very productive discipline within the company, with the entire team focused on delivering a robust, long-life operation that will be attractive, assuring, but importantly, practical to potential financiers and partners. So with a PFS capital estimate under half a billion US dollars, the feedback I've had so far has been very positive. Mm, okay. Uh, back to uh, Mark, you mentioned the uh, $54 a tonne after all costs and sustaining CapEx that came through in the PFS. Um, and when we compare that with the study, I think used the US $110, 62% iron ore price, 10-year uh, inflation adjusted. Um, just so people can get a feel for it, would um, if that was sitting in the Pilbara, would you be pushing the button on a development? I think the uh, the challenge, if we had the same resource in the Pilbara, would be um, the capital cost uh, to get into business would be that much higher. Right. So we saw that with uh, the uh, Sino Pacific project and, and more recently with Iron Bridge, because there's a lot more infrastructure to build. But I think probably the key thing in the Pilbara, if it were an identical deposit would be the, the, the key challenge would be around uh, the supply of electricity because uh, obviously the uh, Australia isn't connected to the uh, rest of the Southeast Australian grid and doesn't take advantage of the uh, relatively cheap power. So for us, that location, South Australia, is really uh, gives us, a, we think, a tremendous advantage in terms of um, access to low-cost power and secondly, to um, existing infrastructure uh, in terms of rail and port capacity, which is... Uh, available and ready to use. So that's probably the key difference uh, between us and the Pilbara. The other thing I think is worth also mentioning is the um, power in South Australia is up to uh, currently over 60% uh, renewable content and um, with forecasts of that to increase steadily with a number of projects on the way, including one very close to our project. So the combination of a very high grade product, which uh, inherently lowers the emissions in the steelmaking process, combined with a low emissions footprint in South Australia makes a winning combination in terms of ESG credentials, we believe. Mm. So, uh, Peter, the, just touching on the green credentials there, um, something that interests me is that um, 
Okay, it's a green production of uh, a premium product, very high grade, uh, which is a great thing for Australia to be doing. But I'm wondering what, what it means for the end users, and I'm thinking probably Chinese steel mills, plus financiers to the project. Mark just touched on South Australia's lead role in advancing renewable energy production in Australia. And personally, I don't believe the importance of this can be overstated for our project. Globally, capital markets and increasingly government legislation are setting an environmentally emphasised bar by which projects will and will not be considered for funding. Steel mills, who are ultimately our end users, are aligning with these global mandates and moving to optimise their carbon footprint and their efficiency and their profitability. So securing supply of iron ore feedstock that is produced in a carbon efficient manner that offers the highest number of iron units and lowest level of impurities into the steel making process is an imperative. So we think the high end of the grade curve is uh, right where you want to be as a supplier. Mm. Uh, one I would like to tease out with Mark is if we look at the Pilbara at the moment and uh, there's obviously uh, native heritage issues around uh, some of the Pilbara operations uh, going forward and some people are starting to wonder if it could lead to a, a natural cap on production out of the Pilbara. Now obviously South Australia would uh, be treating heritage issues just as importantly as uh, Western Australia will be in future at least. So I was just wondering, do you see this, we've just been talking there with Peter about South Australia's advantage. Do you see that as an advantage uh, for you guys operating in, uh, in South Australia as well? I think we do have a, a particular advantage in, in, in that the um, traditional owners uh, where we operate, the Nagari people, um, have uh, had relatively little experience with uh, large-scale mining projects. Um, and it's a great opportunity for us to start off the relationship from the very beginning the way we need to, conti need to continue, which is a relationship based on genuine trust and, and partnership. And so we've, we, it's a very long journey. We've just started it. Um, but we're of the view that if we build the relationships from the start, um, that we take uh, our obligations seriously and we um, both respect uh, and uh, work towards a clear understanding of uh, the heritage and, and other aspects of the land which are important to the traditional owners, that we'll be able to work very closely with them to a mutual benefit as we go forward. And we've already started some of the heritage clearance work um, where we actually walk the ground and identify um, what sites are of significance and work together through a, a plan as to how we're going to handle that. So I think that uh, gives us a, 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 a tremendous advantage. I think the uh, certainly we've seen in the, in the Pilbara, there's a variety of approaches in, in dealing with those things. Um, but, you know, some of these uh, challenges and issues uh, date back, uh, you know, many, many years and, and mm. relate to some of the practices in the past. So, as I say, that's our particular advantage is we've got a chance to uh, um, start uh, and, and work the way we mean to continue in a, in a trustful and respectful way. Now, the, uh, we've seen lots of uh, junior miners, again, in the West, uh, responding to iron ore prices of $220 a tonne, getting into production, but they're generally uh, uh, off small reserve bases, uh, short mine lives. This one, this project, um, the uh, I think the resource is, what, 3 billion tonnes and the, the mine, you've put out a mining reserve recently of more than 400 million tonnes. It's obviously got a long life ahead of it, but I was wondering, can we talk at all about the scalability of the project and its uh, 
the expansion potential going forward beyond the 3.3 million tonne per annum case? Yes, of course. Uh, so um, the, the metrics on the Razorback resource, uh, on the Razorback package of tenements, we've got a, a Jork resource of uh, 4.2 billion tonnes now. We recently uh, released uh, an upgrade uh, to the uh, Razorback era specifically to support the PFS, and that led into the reserve um, statement. And as you're saying, we've got to almost 500 million tonnes of reserves, but that's actually limited by life, not by volume. And in fact, we've got a, a measured um, resource of 1.5 billion tonnes. So we're actually only using about a third of the indicated resource and about uh, a little bit over 10% of the entire ore body. Um, so there's plenty of potential both to expand operations once we get into business um, and uh, ex- or extend the life bit well beyond that which we've shown in the uh, in the pre-feasibility study. So the pre-feasibility study has a reserve life of uh, between uh, 20 and 40 years, depending on the case. Um, but in fact, if you calculate our, our reserve life based on the amount of indicated resources, all of which we believe uh, are economic at uh, certainly at today's prices and at long run prices, um, that would give us uh, a life of uh, heading towards 100 years. Uh, and of course, there's still, if we do that, there's still, we're still only using about a third of the ore body, um, all of which is relatively shallow. So uh, as you were uh, as you say, we've got plenty of potential for either expansion or life extension going forward. Um, this is a very long life uh, resource. And once we get into business, uh, our intention is to uh, construct the business so we stay in business. Right. And uh, Mark, I think uh, it wasn't in the base or reference case in the PFS, but I know you've been doing a lot of work around um, upside that could be uh, captured from selective mining and ore sorting. What's the what are your thoughts on that at this point? Yeah, so we, we're really excited by the potential. If we take, for example, our, our reference case, uh, we're mining with a life of mine uh, yield of about 14.5%, which is actually a little bit below our, our resource average, which is closer to 16%. So, you know, unlike most mining projects uh, most of us have come across, uh, where you seek to mine above the uh, long run resource average to improve the results. Um, we're starting off, uh, if anything, a little bit behind the eight ball in our in our reserves case, and there's a great opportunity to target higher grade zones of mineralisation within the resource. We've proven through the uh, reviews of our geophysical data uh, that there's continuity across these high grade sections right through the deposit across kilometres of strike, and so the next stage of work we've uh, planned is to investigate uh, two potential approaches to releasing that higher grade material. Um, one is to do uh, more drilling and test work so we can um, better identify the geometallurgical performance in these uh, different zones. And the second piece is to either look at either selective mining and in terms of the way we plan to mine the resource, or alternatively looking at uh, ore sorting technology. And we've got a partnership with uh, Nextor, which is licensed to CSIRO, Magnetic Resonance Ore Sorting Technology. Mm-hmm. And we're confident that uh, with uh, further work and definition, um, we'll be able to demonstrate a significant uplift in head grade. And what that'll do for us is make our plant more efficient. Uh, it'll give us a higher overall throughput and it'll reduce our operating costs. So it's something we're uh, really excited about. And um, we've got a great platform to start with. And, and it's, uh, as we optimise and improve, um, we're confident it's going to get better from here. Right. Okay, Peter, I was uh, 
take the point that uh, with this stage approach, very uh, capex is very manageable. The project is still 100% magnetite. Is the company saying or thinking at all about bringing in a partner or a strategic partner or offtake partners or anything like that? What can we say about that at this stage? Always, Barry. I mean, I think that um, the goal of the entire Magnetite Mines team is to, as I said earlier on, get in, to be a producer, to do that in the, uh, in the shortest period of time. And mm. as far as partnerships go, um, we just field and look at and engage with everything that's sensible on a commercial mm. level for shareholders. So it's a never say never attitude within the company. Um, and we will continue and maintain good relationships with a range of groups that may be interested in partnering with us. But it just needs to be on, on good commercial terms for MGT shareholders. That's the, that's the kind mm. of baseline there. Mm. Uh, is it fair enough to uh, suggest, though, that uh, at these elevated iron ore prices, which look like they're locked in, well, will be around for a couple of years yet, that uh, the task of financing the project has got all that much easier? Well, I think so. I mean, Mark and I have particularly have had a very consistent uh, view of the iron ore price. Um, we, you know, we believe that the supply side is very inelastic um, and that's going to lead to um, at least robust prices into the foreseeable future. You know, we're not in the business of picking numbers, but we think it's mm -hmm. going to be healthy and probably higher than, uh, you know, many analysts are currently predicting. Uh, and I think that if that macro environment stays steady, then I think that it won't be just the funding that gets a little bit easier, but it will also potentially be the scale of the project that may, may be revisited based on, you know, the iron ore price at the time. Um, so, you know, we're, we're just steady as she goes, um, meticulous, thought through, um, and, and trying to live in today rather than predict tomorrow. And um, we want the, uh, the project to be, as Mark said, um, uh, strong and healthy under all reasonable iron ore assumptions. Now, you know, for the, at the moment, the project would, iron ore would need to spend a, a reasonably significant amount of time below $65 for the project to become unviable. So I think that for a processed ore product, we're, we're in pretty good shape for this stage of the, of, uh, of the um, study stages we're in. Mm, okay. So, Peter, where to from here? Well, I think that um, uh, we're moving immediately onto the DFS work, building the owner's team out, um, strategizing the, the marketing that will go behind the project to you know, get investors as informed as possible, to bring new investors into the project, uh, and then to be speaking to the, I guess, the higher level of funding organisations and groups that will, will fund the project ultimately, and we'll do that in parallel uh, with the DFS work that uh, that Mark will head up. Mark, have you got anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I think we've uh, really is such a milestone uh, to deliver these positive PFS results. And I think um, from a technical point of view, it's going to be very exciting to actually uh, uh, go forward uh, and, and work through the uh, uh, the infill drilling and the um, metallurgical sample recovery and test work and you know, start to uncover some of the options to to really uh, make the project uh, uh, op further optimise the project and deliver even better returns, and and that's uh, that's very exciting. The other thing, of course, is as you said before, you raise the size of the resource. Uh, we've got potential for significant expansion, and I think that's something uh, as 
Pete's alluded to that uh, in a in a positive iron ore pricing cycle, that's something I think it's well worth uh, looking at and, and giving a picture to uh, shareholders and the market in general. Mm, okay. And is there what's the likely time frame for release of the DFS? You think um, we're scheduling about a year or so to um, get the DFS completed. Uh, we've already got uh, proposals from the uh, from key engineering firms. Um, we've uh, been planning our uh, drilling programs for some time, and so those are due to start in the uh, the next one to two months. Um, and so, uh, you know, we'll obviously move forward as as fast as we can, but consistent with maintaining a high standard of uh, methodical and thorough work as we uh, as we take the project forward. We're very conscious that the um, it's uh, we want both a deliverable project, but one that is actually delivered. At the target costs and and operates to the target parameters and so getting the uh, technical work uh, right and having the uh, uh, effective uh, quality processes to ensure that uh, the uh, the project uh, works as advertised uh, a very important part of the way we work yes well uh, really there was for a project that could be around in 50 years time if not 100 years time uh, you could argue, what's the rush? Uh, <laughs> so, so with that, Jets, uh, thanks very much for your time today. You've uh, given us a great feel for uh, the progress at Razorback, and uh, we look forward to uh, your next update. So all the best, and uh, we'll w- be watching with interest. Cheers. Thanks for the opportunity, Barry. Thank you, Barry. This episode of the Explorers podcast was sponsored by RM Corporate Finance, an active participant in emerging companies around the globe. To hear more about them or become a client, contact them on plus six one eight six three eight zero nine two double zero.